Good morning, and I'm sorry about weird music happening this morning. I must have pressed a button incorrectly somewhere. It's the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Stephen Ryan, and I'm on the panel this morning, as you can tell by what's gone wrong. Uh, and in the studio this morning, we have Greg Balderston from Longanomus. How are you this morning, Greg? Good, thanks, Stephen. That's good. Lovely morning driving down as well. Yes, it's a very pleasant day, actually. People should be out and about and enjoying today because it is really gorgeous. Um, so... Um, and we've got Chloe Foster in the studio, but she's running around dealing with some things at the moment. But she's going to be here to answer questions as well. So the three of us will be here doing our bit this morning. Oh, good morning, Chloe. Good morning. <laughs> All right. We'll get so there. We're there. So, <laughs> we yeah. are here. Oh, dear. Just as well it's volunteer radio. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so if things go slightly awry, well, who's going to sack us? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have to say. Um, all right, so we are live to air. Uh, we're happy to take calls in due course. So if people want to ring us on the talkback number, it is 94190155. You can text us also. We're really happy to have texts on 0488 809855. So do come on board and be involved with us this morning. We're in the studio live to air and we would love to hear from you. And um, I guess we might deal with the text message that's coming. We had a special text message. Yeah, we've had a really yeah, special text message come in. Um, and it says here, greetings from wintry UK. I hope you're all well. I have Dwarf Mugo Pine Query. Uh, and I have them mixed in the garden border in full sun. I love the green needles uh, shapes that add structure, especially in the winter. They're naturally slow growing. They are only four years old, but, uh, oh, oh, that's better. Um, but, oh, it keeps bouncing. Stop it, please, please. Uh, I'm losing it all that's the time. That's right. Yeah, we'll have to, we've lost the connection suddenly. So hold on a second and I'll get it back in a minute. Uh, and we'll finish the, well, the query was about, needle pr or pruning these trees ah here we go it's come back again um can and when can i prune and shape them uh and uh i'd heard something about candle pruning and that's from alan well good morning alan or good evening alan i guess in yeah, the uk a, with the time difference yes with the time difference hours. uh if you are listening in we've got your text it's really lovely to hear from you and yes the um uh, the trick with pines, uh, whether it be mugo or any of the other species of pines, if you want to shape them or form form them in some way or another, you can need uh, you can uh, candle prune, and that's what they do in Japan with those great big cloud pruned pines that you see in the beautiful Japanese gardens. So you wait till the new candles are fully extended, but before the needles really grow out terribly far, and all you have to do is snap the tip out of them. Generally, it takes sort of about half. Um, and if you break the tips out of all of the um, candles, that will then stop that growth uh, where it is. And then when the next set of growth is ready to come, you'll get two or three from the same point where you broke it off. So, and you'll do that, well, it's sort of mid-springish by the time the candles get up to a, a height that um, that you could uh, actually do it with. So that's the technique. Of course, with most pines and a lot of other conifers, you can't prune back into old hardwood. So they just don't respond. So the candle pruning is the way that the Japanese do it, and you can do it with bonsai and conifers as well. 
And yes, I'd say spring uh, would does, be the time to do it. Does the candle pruning, when you snap the tip off, does that encourage more growth? It will. It will, it will encourage side branching yep. from above where you, or from just below where you yeah. snapped out the candle. Um, so it does make the plant more compact. That's how they get those really dense cloud prune sort of effects yeah. on those conifers in Japan. Monty Don's Japanese garden oh, yes, has been on ABC yeah. the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And yes, and you see those magnificent conifers that have, look amazing. You know, have yeah. every single needle is dealt with by hand oh, I mean it blows my mind yeah yeah the, the level of horticultural expertise in mm. some of those gardens is beyond anything we could even yeah comprehend in this well, country for one thing I don't know how they can be bothered doing it yeah. oh, it's actually good fun when you get into people. it because it, it would be I agree yeah, there's there's only certain rules you need to follow like Stephen said you take half the candle <laughs> off yep so it's just a you're following a pattern over the tree. Yeah, it's like hand weeding or yeah. Yeah. any other gardening pursuit, I guess. If once you get into a uh, a rhythm, yes, um, yeah. uh, it can be quite sort of cathartic. Really, mm. you could mm. be I don't know thinking about um, the argument you had with your wife this morning or whatever else, and still be functioning. You yes. know, and you can I, almost I get do it. Yeah, to do the ones at Forest Glade because mm. I made a, a rock garden there. That's they're essentially bonsais, but yeah. they're what Stephen's saying. They're literally just clipped trees. Yeah, because mm. uh, their roots are free to do what they want. And yeah, so there's. I when I planted it, I didn't think I'd have to deal with it. But ten, <laughs> uh-huh, ten, ten years right. later, I'm working there, and I'm the one that has to clip uh, clip all the uh, the trees, uh, including conifers and pines, and uh, but also like tilias and uh, beeches and maples and things like that. So you have to go over the whole big rock garden and yeah, tip prune yeah. everything out to try and get it to the right shape. Once you get into it, it would be very meditative. Yeah. Meditative. Yeah. 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 And to see them develop too, like, mm. you know, after 10, 10 years, they weren't completely looked after the best way. And then to go back and be able to um, get in there and sort of redo it how I imagined it when I first planted it 10 mm. years ago was yeah. uh, was quite nice. Yeah, yeah that yeah. is good. That's a fantastic thing yeah. to do. All right, now we've got a couple of announcements we need to make. Um, One is, of course, Open Gardens Victoria have got um, gardens open this weekend. And the one that I'm familiar with and the one that I would love everybody to visit, of course, is the Garden of Virginia Haywood today. Oh, is she? Yes, I wonder who (laughs) Virginia is. Um, So she's in Linwood Road in Seville. Uh, I'm assuming the garden will open at uh, 10 this morning and it'll go open open till 4.30. Yep. Um, And... You can go out and chat to Virginia, which I'm sure she'd be more than pleased to see. She'd you. be holding court in her element. Yeah, she yes. would. Be, there. Yeah. She would love yeah. it. She'd, She'd be, be very going, excited. oh, it's so exhausting yeah. and tiring, and oh, I don't know why I do this, as we all do when we open our gardens. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is great fun. And of course, poor old Virginia, she had a slight disaster in her garden a couple of weeks ago. Oh. One of her huge gums. It was her favourite gum. Yeah, her yeah. favourite gum yeah. Yeah. crashed down in one of those really strong winds we had. So she had to get the the arborists mm. in and mm. clean up all the mess and what have you. Um, but I think she's breathing easily now that it's all dealt with. Yep. And it's a lovely spot. I mean, I've been to Virginia's place lots and lots of times and you've got this fabulous view right out over the Warby Ranges. Uh, it's a lovely lake there. There's relaxed borders around the place, an interesting collection of plant material. Yeah. Um, so definitely a worthy sort of garden to go and visit today. So between 10 and 4.30 today um, in uh, Linwood Road, uh, Seville, Virginia Hay. Woods Garden. Virginia Haywood's Garden. And yeah. Banksia Bend in Yarra Glen is Yeah, now I've not too. seen that one. Beautiful. I think Phil Johnson designed it. Ah, it's yes, of course. probably 
be almost 10 years old now, yeah. maybe a little bit more. I went there when it first opened. So it I take it's got lots of water and rocks and things. Absolutely. Lots of natives. <laughs> yeah, lots of natives. It is a huge garden. Again, beautiful views. It's on the uh, flats in Yarra Glen. Yeah. Um, almost opposite the Yarra Glen Racecourse on the other side of the Yarra Glen Hillsville Road. So beautiful views out back towards sort of Coldstream ah, up the Warby yeah. Highway, that, that angle. It's stunning, absolutely yeah. stunning. All right. Well, there's something to keep you all occupied today. Yeah, day trip. Although, having said that, if you're not on that side of Melbourne and you want to go on a day trip somewhere else, uh, slightly tenuous connection to horticulture, I guess, but there is an Open Studios uh, event on today at Mount Macedon, and there's nine artists, including my partner Craig, who's got his botanic art on show, and... So if you go to our place first, you can get a map to find all of the other gardens. And ours is logistically, if you're coming up from Melbourne, the first place you'd come to anyway. So ours is uh, 8th Centenary Avenue in Macedon. Uh, once you find Craig's studio and his botanic art, will all be sort of hanging up on the walls there where you can see it. And he'll be working from uh, from his table there. So you can actually see him working on one of his botanic art pieces. I'm not quite sure what he's painting on today because he's got about three works going all at once at the moment. <laughs> You've got so, to have more than one. Yeah, yeah well, he has. He's, I know he's working on... <laughs> on an asarum. Um, he was working on a Brugmansia. I don't know whether that's finished quite yet or not. Uh, and there was something else he was working on as well. So anyhow, so he's got some paintings there that you can see hanging on the wall, plus the work he's working on. And um, uh, it's open today from 10 o'clock till 4.30. And I said there's nine artists all working in different sorts of materials. So there's somebody who does um, silk printing uh, there's I think there's wood and there's there's clay and there, you know the whole range of artists doing all sorts of different things and that's at Macedon uh, today this is the last day of the weekend they've been doing it through a period of weekends of different seasons mm. so um, yeah so if you've got nothing better to do today and you'd like to go out and see some very very artistic and clever people <laughs> come towards Macedon for the artists open studio forest glade looks really good at the moment and too. it would and that yeah. would, that's another good reason to so, go up and that's Always open, but yeah. it does look particularly nice at the moment. The laburnum walk's just about finished, yeah. But it's still worth having a look at. And oh, there's laburnum walk there. I need to come up. It's a big one. Blade. Yeah, it's, oh, it's my about it's, it's you nearly know, twenty-eight or 30, 30 trees. So four, fourteen or so each side, fourteen or fifteen each yeah. side. Yes, it's quite a uh, decent arch actually. Yeah, yeah. and it's pro it's flowered. This year, probably the best I can remember ever seeing it. The flowers were quite long. I think it's Vossi is it? The yes, one with the longer yes, flowers? Yeah, How yeah. long um, have you been there for, Greg? Uh, well, uh, I, used <laughs> to take, I, I used to take tours there when I was yeah. about eight. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> um, That's so good. And bus tours for the Mount Macedon yeah. Hort when I was a teenager. And and opening the gardens. And I think I first started working there in my mid-twenties as a head gardener. Yeah. And then... Just recently, last three or so years, is yep. like a special uh, project manager or something. I'm not really sure what my title is, there, but it's fun. <laughs> I'd define that if yeah. I was you. Yeah, yeah. You need to have a proper title. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so pretty much all my life, I guess, it's some, yeah. in some way, yeah. form or another, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, Forest Glade's one of those properties that does seem to hang on to you once <laughs> you've had an involvement with it. I mean, I've been working there... 
trying to ID all the rhododendrons, which is a fun game. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, how many are you up to now? How many species? 400. We've, I mean, some of them are repeats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. The same variety showing up in different spots around the garden. If I see another Broughton Eye, a white pearl, I'll yes, up. You know, yes. there's <laughs> masses of them around. Yeah. Um, but we're trying to um, – we'll never get them all, particularly a lot of the really old cultivars because there's nobody alive that really remembers what the names yeah. of some yeah. of the old cultivars were. And if you look in the old catalogues, it'll say something like, you know, uh, Lady Kafup's uh, magenta, yes, yeah. or something yeah. like that, and, and Two to along three with meters. fifty others. Yeah. Well, it doesn't yeah. even normally give you the heights; oh, really? it just gives you colours. Because in those big gardens in those days, they didn't care how big yeah, something grew. True. So true. I've got an old Sangster and Taylor's catalogue from the eighteen something or another's, mm. which was a big nursery up on Mount Macedon. Well, just behind Forest Glade, yeah, yeah really, virtually the right there. Yeah, they, yeah. they probably could have wheelbarrowed plants. Yes, yeah, yeah. probably Glade. where most yeah. of the plants yeah. came from. And a lot of them would have come from there. And I've got their old catalogue and and. The breeding of rhododendrons back in those days, it was, well, they had a very limited range of, of species to draw on and nearly everything was sort of puce, magenta or screaming cerise. You know, it was <laughs> all those sorts of colours. Yeah. And, and they you can when you look at them individually, you can see that they're different from each other. Yeah. But how you would describe them to know which one was which is uh, mm. hopeless. Most um, of those ones are still down at, uh, at Tales and Sanctuary yes, too. That, yeah. that, you know, they're stock planting I yeah, remember working there when the I was a teenager when it was still quite overgrown. Yeah. And the only way you'd see the rhododendron flower colours were when the, the flowers were actually falling off the trees yeah, and landing the, on the ground. Because the so whole was, canopy was, was above your head. Oh, it wow. was a rhododendron forest, yeah. but every tree was a different hybrid yeah. or a different Whoa. species or something. And they were all quite close together, so yeah. there's all these trunks going up. Yeah. Yeah. And, yes, you, you'd sort of – well, a drone would be really useful. Yeah, that now. would be. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's how you'd see the flowers because they were yeah. all up above your head. Um, so, anyhow, so I've been naming the rhododendrons up at Forest Glade sort of intermittently. We've sort of called a bit of a halt until uh, – the final clean-up of all of the mess is done and then maybe Yeah, most we'll... of it's cleaned up now, yeah, so you probably good. get yeah. down there if, if there's still... there's And there's still a few flowering. Like yeah. There's quite a few roadies still yeah, out, so it might be, might be worth it. coming but up But my again. connection with Forest Glade goes back to when I was 16 mm. and I'd left school and... Morris Cogger, who was the head gardener there at the time, was looking for somebody to do some mowing. And so I used to go in about one day a week or one day a fortnight um, and get the self-propelled cylinder mower and do the finer lawns up around the house. Mm -hmm. um, and so I used to mow there when I was a kid right. uh, for pocket money. Yeah. Um, and I still remember Morris saying, you're doing it too fast, you're showing us up. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so I've got a fairly long-term connection yeah. with the property as well. It's really how, funny. How big is it? Uh, it's about 15 acres. Yeah, something like that. And, and I also, garden? I, yeah. the garden I grew up in, which is, it got bulldozed recently, unfortunately, that was planted in the 1870s and it, someone's just, mm. yeah, I walked it. past it the other so, day. Oh, it's, it's just terrible. a mess. Um, so that my, where I grew up is literally next door to Forest Glade, so... Mm. It's yeah, it's it's right next door, but it's about fifteen acres, and it goes from Mount Macedon Road right down to the uh, the Willamagongong Creek, which is quite steep at the back. Yeah, um, and there's some interesting uh, geology there a little bit as well. Is uh, it's basically a lot of pyroclastic ash from Camel's Hump volcano. That, oh wow! That filled that filled out the valley six million years ago, or whatever, yep. and that's where Forest Glades sort of on that. We'd um yeah it's and uh, yeah it it it's got quite sunny spots flat spots up the top and then it and almost then you need faces to have one leg longer than the other when you get down the back. <laughs> yeah. I still remember Cyril Stokes the owner one day she when um 
think it was when Bill used to work there, Bill Greenwood. Yep. Um, and you virtually had to hold on while you waded because you were sort of on this sleep, steep slope. And Cyril yells down the slope and says, I don't pay people to weed with one hand, oh he said. Oh, my God. <laughs> I still remember pre, him doing that. Pre-OH&S act. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you quite literally had to hold on because it was so steep. So you, your feet would you'd try and dig your toes into mm. the bank and then you'd be weeding. Mm. And Luckily, uh, you don't have to weed down there anymore because it's generally yeah. uh, uh, quite shady down there now. Mm. So um, it's just ferns and tree ferns. <laughs> we need to come up. So one of the other... One of the other teachers at Melbourne Poly that I work with, we've just done two, the last two Tuesdays, um, taken diploma students on two excursions. We went up to the Dandenong Ranges ah, yeah. and did Cloud Hill, Kawara, and then down to Karanga Nursery. Yeah. And the teacher I was with he, uh, lives up around Wood End and he said, oh, like we're talking about the geology of the Dandenongs and Macedons, mm. similar age. Yeah, they are. They're, yeah. They're yeah. There's both the super time. volcanoes. The, the yeah. main bulk of Mount Macedon and I think the Dandenongs Yep. is a 360-million-year-old supervolcano that blasted out of a shallow sea and then the crater filled back up with lava and solidified. Wow. So it's it's very, yeah, very old yeah. Uh, geology. And Camel's Hump was a separate volcano, which mm. is a hot spot that Australia's been floating across, mm. and it created the Glasshouse Mountains in Queensland and a few other oh. mountain ranges. I think it's called the Lachlan uh, Hotspot. Yep. And the last time it erupted was Camel's Hump, Hanging Rock, and a few other – there's about seven or eight eruption spots around Mount uh, Masson Ranges. Oh, brilliant. And it's now believed to be under the northwest coast of Tasmania, just off in the Bass Strait or <laughs> the Southern Ocean. So uh, one day it'll well, pop up something again to look in the Bass Strait. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of Vic, the Vic Volcanic Plains are not classified as extinct. They're classified as dormant. Yeah, the, I live on the side of a volcano in Romsey, yeah. and that only erupted about two or three million years ago, which mm. is quite young mm. geologically. Yeah. Yeah. And no time Well, at all. some of them were as, as recent as maybe 10,000, 20,000 yeah. years ago. Yeah, so I think they're further down sort of the yeah. southwest yes. part of Victoria. Yep. Like, um, uh, down sort of towards tower, Stony tower Rises. Hill, and is Tower Hill? Yeah, Tower uh, Hill uh, is, is a volcanic yeah. crater. Mm. That's yeah, that's only, uh, I think, tens of thousands of years old. I think... Um, the indigenous people would have been here when that probably erupted last. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Goodness yeah, me. some of them are quite young. So are you going to bring your students up our way yeah. then? Is that the plan? Yeah, so we thought we need to come up and see Forest Glade. The yeah. teacher, um, Richard Rowe, I was with, said you need to see Forest Glade and stop off at... Yeah, Dixonia Rare Dixonia Plants. Dixonia Rare yeah. Plants. More than welcome. <laughs> and, and whatever, and, and maybe another garden or another nursery up there. Well, well there's not very many Bol- other nurseries. How far away is Bolobeck? And is it open or uh, is it private? Well, you'd have to organise it's, it's a private property. You'd yeah. have to organise it. Uh, and I don't know how you'd go with students, but I know if you want to bring a group through the garden, they charge quite heavily for yeah. it. The, um, the Teef Tara is open at the moment, but yeah. I think that's... What's it called? Uh, Teef Tara, which okay. is similar to Forest Glade, um, in some ways, I guess. Mm. But anyhow, have a talk to yeah. me, Chloe, because I, I can organise some things if Thank you want you. to go into a couple of interesting gardens. Yeah. And I'd be happy to help with Forest Glade. And, and also, if they're, if they're native plant-wise, like somewhere like Sanitarium Lake's really good to look around too. Okay. For, yeah. for Yes, you can go plants. out and have a look at some of the bushes as well while you're mm. up there. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. There's look, we like to do a bit of a contrast when we do go on these trips. And that's and what I can help you with Claire that Hill. too because I Thanks, guess who is Yeah, Greg knows every toadstool that grows up around Sanitarium Lake. I just got Richard onto the Macedon Rangers Facebook, the Fungi Facebook group that you have because he lives up there and, and yeah, loves... Fungi and everything else. Yeah, all the other yeah no, it's uh, yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. interesting little spot, Mount Macedon. I reckon it's uh, 
geologically and and mm. fungally and and <laughs> and all also the other culturally uh, culturally it's interesting as a historic uh, uh, particularly since white settlement because it's one of those places like the hill station gardens in in uh, Kashmir and you know it's it was the place where the wealthy from Melbourne came to play. Mm. Mm. And so that's why we end up with these huge big houses, these mm. vast and, gardens. Yeah. And it, so that sort of cultural history of uh, white settlement up there is fascinating. Mm. Mm. And even before that too, it's actually on the boundary mm. of three First Nation uh, mm. uh, groups as well. So it's, oh. I think for them it was a really mm. uh, interesting meeting place. Like Wooling Hill was used for tens of thousands of years as yeah. a meeting place for, yeah. for the three... Uh, the three ba- the boundaries of those uh, three groups. Yeah. yeah, so probably be what the boundaries of one of the the Melbourne nations, and then yeah, the northern I'm, side of I'm the ranges. I'm not very good at remembering the names. No, 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 terrible, and I feel awful. But just sort of thinking geolog- geographically, I can see where the yeah. potential it's the, borders the, the, might the, be. The Yarra Ranges go uh, went right across to it, yep. I think. Yeah, and then there's a there was another group that went from the Macedon Ranges north, and yes. another one from the southwest. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Fantastic. So yeah, so it'd be a great day out for yeah. the students. So keep in touch with us, and we'll do that. Yeah, the first inland town in Victoria was Carlsruhe. That was the first, the first settled inland town in Victoria. Oh, what a fun coastal. fact! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There Tidbit. you go. And and it's named after a place. It's a huge city in Germany, and there's about three houses at Carlsruhe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ironic. Sort of, yeah, it is ironic. All right. Well, we better keep moving now. We better start getting some things happening. Uh, let's remind people of the numbers so that they can ring in or text us. So if you want to ring in, the talkback number is nine four one nine zero one double five. The text number is zero four double eight eight. And there's a text message, I think, Stephen. Can you read it? Uh, oh, yes. Oh, dear. Goodness me. Uh, I asked Stephen last time he was on about Corners Controversa Verigata and could it be posted to Sydney? Um uh, he suggested going to Moidart, which is where I know somebody grows them. Uh, I took his advice and went to the Southern Highlands and got one of these magnificent trees. Yay. <laughs> uh, now I need all the advice and help I can get on how to grow one. I'm probably pushing the climatic zone for this tree, but I have successfully grown other cool climate plants here, uh, have hot summers and get some frosts during winter. Thanks for your advice. Love the show. Erin. All right. Cornus Controversa Verigata. We better explain it to all of our yes, listeners. Yes, and to me. And, and, That's what and, I was excited about coming with you guys today because I learn about non-Australian plants. It's great. Oh, good. All yeah. right. Well, you're going on a learning curve now, Chloe. <laughs> uh, Cornus Controversa Verigata is commonly known as the tabletop or wedding cake dogwood. Oh. Um, and it has these completely flattened tabulated branches with quite big gaps between them. So when the tree's well grown, you've got this amazing tiered mm. effect with it. Uh, it has silver-edged leaves. Leaves. Uh, so the whole effect is really sort of whitish because uh, yeah. there's as much white as there is green in the leaves. Is it flowering at this time of year? Uh, it's late spring flowering. It would be just finishing now. But yep. the flowers, are, it's not like a classical dogwood. It's that sort of dogwood. It oh, has right. little white flowers in clusters, not the big petally bracted type flowers yep. that you think of with the classical pink and white dogwoods. Uh, so the flowers are almost immaterial. Because of the white variegation of the foliage and the flowers are white as well, it just adds white on white and it's not that important. It's really about the foliage and the tabulated form that is important with um, that particular dogwood. It's very hard to get because it's quite hard to propagate. Mm. Uh, and yes, Graham at Moidart Nurseries in um, the Southern Highlands, he 
grafts it. So he has has plants available for sale regularly. Um, just expect to pay an arm and a leg to get one. Um, and it's probably hardier than the flowering dogwoods, the Floridas mm. and that sort of group of dogwoods, mm. but it still wants shelter from hot winds, mm-hmm. uh, like, say, well-drained but not dry soil, um, well-mulched, keep its roots cool. Uh, and apart from that, uh, if it's not where it's going to get the direct sun when we've got a 45-degree or, or something like that, it's not... Ungrowable. So I, mm. I think our uh, friend in Sydney might well be able to um, to have a crack at one. Uh, and now that Erin's uh, bought one, she has to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it can be kept as a pot plant for a few years. It's not overly fast growing. Yep. And you can't make it do anything you want it to do because what happens is when it's grafted, it sends out its first layer. So it has no leader. So you just get this layer that comes out and it'll grow out to a certain distance. Then somewhere near the centre of the crown, it will suddenly send a vertical shoot up uh, that will then form the next one. So it doesn't come from directly above whatever the trunk is below. Yeah. So it might come just a little off centre. So and, it zigzags up Yeah, almost. it can sort of zigzag or, up. But funnily enough, when it's well grown and it's got a big trunk on it, it seems to even out and makes yeah. it look like it's got a normal sort of yep. trunk. But it doesn't grow one above the other as a young plant. And so it will just grow as a first tier. Sometimes, well, I've put one in the garden that actually came down from Moidart Nursery it's been in now for 18 months, I suppose, and it's still only a single layer, but it's growing quite well sideways and it still hasn't yet shown any sign of a new leader coming up. So you just let it do its thing. You can't stake it and make it and yeah. do, make it do anything it doesn't want to do. Um, but once it does start to form its first leader, the, the follow-up ones tend to come in reasonably quickly afterwards. Almost annually, you'll get a new leader come up. So it's a really intriguing tree. So it's a cultivated film? Is it's it, a variegated it, form of a wild species. So, so it's still where, basically a wild species. Is but, it bred somewhere or is it a naturally occurring variegation? Well, it's a variegation that would have probably shown up in cultivation on a green one. Okay. And then yep. somebody just propagated from it. I mean, the green one has a similar growth habit. It, it, uh, in, yeah. And I don't understand how in the wild it would be advantageous not to have a strong dominant leader yeah. right <laughs> from word go. Uh, but I've had seedlings of it. And yes, they come up a certain height, then they start to put most of their effort going sideways. Then they'll go up. So they're again. not a Amazing. forest tree in the wild. Well, they're an understory tree. Well, that that, that would sort of make sense, I guess. Yeah, if I they guess... don't need to reach up for the light, yeah. they may as well cover as much ground space yeah. as yeah. they yeah, can. Yeah, maybe that. Yep. I don't know. But anyhow, it's an intriguing mm. species but... within the dogwood genus, as long as they keep the genus as it is, because there's talk. Um, <laughs> it could be split into four genera, uh, the oh. Cornus genus. Uh, well, and, and that's like the these ones that have those uh, yeah, the uh, umbel flag. flowers. Yeah. Well, probably... they are different in the flowers. Yeah. You yeah. Know, there's quite distinct differences between the different and groups. And the berries. And, yeah. 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 So Cornus will stick with Cornus mass, which is the Cornelian cherry that gets little clusters of yellow flowers, because it was the first one that was named. So it will keep Cornus. The flowering dogwoods, the ones with the big bracty mm. flowers, will go into a genus called Benthamidia. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a disease. Yeah, it does rather, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, so Benthamidia will be where Cornus capitata and Cornus florida and all those would yep. go if this works. Yep. The white one, the ones with the little white flowers like the red stem dogwoods, all that group, yep. uh, and also the controversies and all that, they'll go into a genus called Swider, uh, S-W-I-D-A, and... 
The last cornice is the little creeping dogwood that grows around oh, yeah, Canada yep. and, and Siberia. It's a little perennial plant. It has bracted flowers like the flowering dogwood, mm. but it's a little herbaceous perennial. It almost looks like a trillium, like that trillium revalia yeah, or something. Yeah, it does. Like that. It grows so, like, that. like that. And yeah. it will be in the genus Camipericyclamen. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, is that is that Cammy's in Chamay like C H A M A E? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, uh, don't ask me why they would do that, but anyhow, that's the possibility. Yeah. But of course, as anybody who works with botanical names knows, everything is in such flux at the moment. Yeah. Mm. And sometimes they're changing the names, and then I'll go into check a few months later, and it's gone back. I reckon Potterfilm's back. Because the old names, you can still find out all the information you need you, with the old name. You can. So for the next 10 years or so, just stick with the old names. Yeah, well. Yeah, but <laughs> if you let don't sort learn it all the out, new one as it comes up. Yeah, but there's no point learning it if it's going to change again. Because the well, same thing's happening with fungi as well. So yeah. you go out and learn a new name. Yeah. And then mm. by the time I've got it now, I've yeah. definitely got it. Yeah. And then you see somewhere that it's been changed back to the name that they had before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or Look, something. Or that happens. It gets very frustrating. But yeah. I can understand why that happens. Uh, to give an example. Um, hydrangea is now a much bigger genus than it once was because there's outlying genera that have all been lumped in together. Oh. Mm. So Schizophragma, Dichroa. Uh, Dichroa um, uh, there's a whole range of yep. them. Mm. And the differences between them and true hydrangeas were somewhat minimal. You know, slight variation in petal arrangement or bracts or whatever. Uh, if they'd left it as the status quo, they were actually going to have to split hydrangea because there was enough diversity within the mm. genus as it stood. Mm. So the paniculata hydrangeas, the ones with the big panicles of mm. flowers, would be in a different genus from the macrophylla hydrangeas. Yep. So there was going to be this whole thing. So instead of doing that, they've lumped them all together to make one super genus, right. uh, which sort of makes sense yep. um, because they went the opposite way uh, years ago with um, the snowflakes, um, which used to all be leuconium. Um, They split it into two because there was the ones that had the green spots on the petals and there was the ones that didn't have any green spots on the petals. And if they didn't split those two, then they would have had to include Galanthus into Leucogem or Leucogem into Galanthus because there was as much diversity between those two as there were between the two bits that were in Leucogem. Mm. So I can sort of understand how they're going. Selvia ended up with Rosemary shoved in because if they hadn't, they would have ended up with 11 genera. Oh, right. That's how Selvia would have had to have been dealt with. Yeah. So if they hadn't pulled Rosemary into it, <laughs> goodness mm. knows how we would have dealt with so that. So the botanists are thinking about us sometimes. Oh, look, they're trying, yeah. but sometimes they're very trying. The, yeah. the thing is, is, now they've got a really good tool in DNA. Yes, oh, exactly. And, yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, there's, nature doesn't like to be pigeonholed. No. no so there's changing. these minor differences where you go, some one thing you go, oh, I'll just lump them together and then... There's minor differences somewhere else, but you can't lump them together because yeah. they're already too big. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Just, yeah, I mean, and I look, sometimes they, 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 they split them up and then they go back again because mm. they think, well, it's easy to go the other way. And one that I just realised recently, and I mean within the last week or two, has been changed back again were the potophyllums, the mayapples uh, from mm. North America and China. It's a genus of um, woodland perennials, some of which have got the most amazing foliage. They are just incredible. And they decided to split potophyllum into two genera. So they had potophyllum, which was kept for the American species because they were the first described Mm. and found. And the 
Asian species were put into a new gene, or it may have even been an old name that they've reintroduced, I don't know, yeah. but anyhow, a new genus uh, called Dysosma. And so I got used to splitting them up and having the potophyllums and the Dysosmas. Uh, and I went in to check something the other day at the Q website, because that's what I use as my authority, um, and they've put them back again. But what they've done was there was another genus outlying out there that was sort of related called Diphilia. And they'd obviously decided Diphilia was different enough from the Asian potophyllums and the American ones uh, that if they were going to split those two up to make that one stay in its own genus, it didn't make sense because they were all so similar in a sense. So they've actually pulled Diphilia into potophylla now. Mm. So, so all of the Diosmas and the Diphillas are all now potophyllums. Mm. And guess who had a whole pile of labels printed? Stephen Wright. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think Antique Perennials had too because I remember I was there a few weeks ago yeah. and they had all the different labels on Yeah, their yeah. Stuff Everybody well, had so. sort of got used to Diosma, <laughs> which is really interesting because the nursery industry as a whole is pretty conservative about name changes. Yeah. I mean, very. we're still calling azaleas azaleas and they were decided to be rhododendrons about a century ago. Yeah. But anyhow, we're still... You know, you get labels with mollus azalea and azalea this and azalea that. They never on the label mention rhododendron, no. which is the genus, in fact, that they belong in. Mm. Uh, so there's certain plants that we just won't change. Yep. Mycelia and magnolia are a really interesting example because most of the nurseries have swapped over to magnolia now. You don't see the term mycelia no, used very often anymore. No. Um, so we've made Everyone that switch. Everyone knows the word magnolia, though. Yeah, That's well, why. It, yeah, it helps. And because most people probably call Michaelia's, uh magnolias anyway because yeah. they do look like magnolias. I think yeah. it's, and I think its common name might have been sweet magnolia well, or scented there, magnolia There was one called, um, that was Mycelia figo, yeah. which they called the port wine magnolia. That's right, yep. Um, and so that sort of gave people a sense that they were sort of magnolia-esque. And the only difference between them really visually was that Mycelias flowered in the um, side shoots on mm. the, you know, sort of the non-dominant buds and most of the magnolias flowered on the apical bud. Uh, and that was the only difference. And they're a lot smaller. Well, yeah, but there's some big mycelia. Yeah. Oh, there are. Yeah, mycelia dolt sopa, or now magnolia dolt sopa, has a flower every bit and as big as some of the other. And champaca is yeah, quite big got, too. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, the, so, fe- the figo species has a very yeah, small very flower. Yeah, very small flowers. Yep. Uh, but there were some within magnolia that are also quite tiny. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so it sort of made sense to go down that path. Um, and, and we've embraced it in the horticultural industry. So if the botanists get to work and decide to split it again, we're in trouble. <laughs> because yeah. I I think actually to go back the other way would be really difficult for people to deal with. Mm. So let's hope they don't. Fingers I hope they crossed. don't. All right. Well, we've got a um, text that's come through. Uh, can possums eat plants that are toxic to humans? I'm hoping if I plant a Brugmansia, uh, <laughs> it won't become part of their fare. Uh, Rosie from Mitchum. Um, I would actually say a Brugmansia is unlikely to be eaten by possums. Uh, I've got two of them in the garden at home and I've got oodles of possums mm. uh, and they're eating everything. I'm, they're not I'm trotting decide- around like spinning out. No, no, they don't <laughs> seem to be. They just completely are leaving my Brugmansias alone. I've For got good reason. a yellow and a red Brugmansia sanguinea in the garden at home and they're about four metres each way. Beautiful. Masses of flowers. They are just stunning. But my maples, uh, my deciduous fatinia, fatinia buvardiana, 
Mana and a few other things. They've killed my Stachyurus, the um, early spike tail bush. Uh, the possums are giving me a hiding. It's usually year. the ringtails, I think, it too. It is because they the can get trees. right out on yeah. the ends yeah. of the branches, whereas the, the brushies are so big and heavy, yeah. they can only eat break, where break they've got branch. heavy branches. <laughs> uh, and they can't get out to the tips. Yep. But yes, I go out to lock up the chooks after dark in the evening and there's little ringtails zooming mm. all over my garden. They're <laughs> everywhere, the little beggars. They're very good at uh, keeping the um, uh, feral sycamores in check out in the forest, though, because you get uh, up at Mount Macedon, and I'm sure in the Dandenongs as well, you, you get the you know the sycamores growing out in the forest. Yeah, and um, yeah, the ringtails give them. Something yes, to they think quite about. like the, yeah. the, the yeah, that's their main benefit, I think, yeah. is uh, an environmental one out there. Yeah. But oh, crikey, they do make an awful mess in the garden. Yeah. And I I'm, would say that they, for good reason, they stay yeah. away from the brugs. But I have to say, it because... doesn't necessarily mean because an animal will eat something that it is not toxic to humans. There are plenty of plants mm. out there that animals eat and birds eat that we shouldn't. Yes. Uh, yes. So don't look at it from the other direction and say, well, if the possums are eating it, I should be able to. Especially a marsupial, which is quite distantly yeah. related yeah. to humans. They've probably got sort of yeah. uh, <laughs> bits or, or about less, their metabolism yeah. that can cope with things that we can't. Yeah, I mean, there's there's um, gibberellic acids in the guts of birds that help um, seeds to germinate. Yeah. It mm. doesn't mean that we should eat them because we don't have those same acids. Yeah, exactly. So, so, yeah, but getting back to um, uh, the the story, uh, uh, why not indeed plant a Brugmansia? Because uh, uh, um, it, beautiful. it will be left alone, at least in my experience, they leave them alone. Yeah. And I note that um, the questioner also wants to know about Nephophia Ice Queen. Now, I don't know for certain who'd be growing that one, but I know David Glenn at Lambley Nursery at Ascot has quite a good range of Nephophias. I think so, antique perennials have a few Nephophias Yeah, they could too, have a few. They? And there's that place down at Nobby's Point or something, the drought-tolerant plant place down there on the coast, and I can't remember what his nursery's <laughs> called, but I know he grows a big mm. range of Nephophias as well. So I would start with David Glenn, perhaps, at Lambley uh, Nursery at Ascot. They do mail order, so if mm-hmm. you can't get up to Ascot, he can send. I might add, though, if you can get up to Ascot, I would, because the garden up there is fantastic, so mm. it's definitely worth going up to have a look at the garden as and well. And you can as pick out your own plant then too. Yeah, well, you, yes, you can go and see it's how always, it's being used. It's always better to pick out your own plant. Yeah, and, and yeah, I like that uh, because you can, you know, although I have to say some clients spend an awful lot of time picking out a plant from a group of absolutely identical plants. Yes, yeah. Uh, the so, one with 11 leaves instead of 10. Yeah, that's yeah. right, exactly. Yeah, so, so, so some people do take it to extremes, and I do point out to people when they're buying plants that it's more about how you look after it when you take it home than necessarily whether that one's got one more leaf mm. than the other one. Um, so it is about ongoing care that makes the difference, not which plant you necessarily buy. So there you go. So I hope that helps. Um, all right, now. There's a, there's a caller. Oh, we've it's got a caller. has been waiting a while. Oh, press the line now? button and then press the little round green one. That's right. Good morning. Good Hello, morning is that Drew? Yeah, this is Drew. Thanks for waiting, Thanks, Drew. Thanks, right. Chloe, for reminding him. Yeah, oh, look, I'm sorry, Drew. I'm sort of uh, <laughs> off with the pixies this morning. I'm trying to get my head around this again because it's been a while since I've done it. Now, you've got a question about radishes, I believe. I have. Um, a beautiful uh, growing uh, foliage, and then it just shoots to seed. Mm-hmm. And it's a black radish mm-hmm. and the watermelon radish. All so right. when, I, when we've grown normal radishes, we get beautiful bulbs that are delicious, but these... 
black and watermelon radish just seem to be shooting straight to seed. I wonder if it, I'm doing anything or if the soil's too rich or... I was going to say too rich a soil. Uh, okay. Because, uh, and it may, it may vary between different cultivars. So although you're doing fine with the traditional radish potentially, they may need actually a poorer soil uh, for the black radishes and things to start forming radishes. If you're getting lots of leaves and they're running up to seed and they're not radishing underneath, <laughs> then it's generally due to an overrich soil. So, so that, that's okay. too much nitrogen? Yeah. yeah. So I'd plant a nitrogen-loving thing in that area, perhaps some lettuce or some silver beet peas. or leaf. peas. They'll pull the yeah. nitrogen in. Uh, anything that sort of uh, is a leafy green mm. uh, particularly will uh, use up a lot of the nitrogen and then just don't refeed that bed before you try your next crop of radish. Fantastic. Is it? Is there anything wrong with then keeping that seed that that's going to? No, so no, I'm no. If you're going to be your own seed collecting, that's not going to impact the uh, the cultivar. Uh, it's just that you won't be cropping anything from underneath Me those too. clouds. So yeah, no, you could keep the seed of them and then resow it again next year. Yeah, no problem. Fantastic. Thank you very much. No All right, that's a pleasure. Uh, we'll catch up with you again, Drew. Thanks, Drew. Good on you. Uh, mute. No, mute it and then hold. Well done. I did it. Oh. You're there. <laughs> See, I haven't done this for a while, and that's the thing that scares me coming into the studio. Pam but... made it look so easy, but it's one of the most challenging things I do. Yeah, well, me too. I bet frightens me. This whole technology <laughs> yeah. thing does. It scares the billio out of me. Um, all right, before we have some more calls coming in, and we haven't got any more uh, texts in at the moment, why don't we talk about a couple of plants? Because I've bought in a whole pile of stuff. Greg's got some stuff. You've got some stuff as you... well. So... Now, I saw this on your Instagram, or it was something similar on your Instagram. Instagram yeah. yesterday, and I didn't get to talk to Craig Wilson about it when we were on last. Yeah. Um, viburnums. This is Viburnum placatum. Yes, yeah. Uh, flowering in the gardens at, at Melbourne Polytech where I teach. Yeah. And I put it on a couple of plant lists this semester because it was flowering absolutely beautifully. And similar to the cornice mm. that you were talking about before. Oh, yeah. It's the tabulated Quite thing. horizontal Except the branching. flowers are a little bit more... Uh, uh, visible on the on the viburnum. The yes. flowers were <laughs> off the charts, and I have sent a photo <clears throat> to Liz to, to share to the Facebook. The flowers were st yeah. absolutely stunning, mm. but they didn't last for ages. They it's didn't last not for a long. long flowering period, no. but I have to say things like viburnum placatum, their flowering might be brief, but it's pretty spectacular. Mm. Yep. Their autumn colour can be really good. Yep. And some of them will also produce quite attractive red berries. Uh, mm. Well, that's what's coming on now. Mm. So I was yep. looking at the, the berries haven't started, but there is red fruit starting yeah. too. And I thought, oh, that looks nice. And coming into Christmas is nice yeah, too. Yeah. So, yeah, so by, by that midsummer, it'll have quite good berries on it. Yep. It's now, got a nice habit too. Yeah, so and, and of course that tabulated yeah. habit is always... Tabulated, but a ra like quite rounded yeah. plant. Yeah. It's probably two and a half, three metres yeah. or something. Yeah, Beautiful. It, it grows quite big and that's another thing people need to be aware of if they're going to plant the placatums is because of that lovely flattened layered effect, yeah. you need to allow them ample space. How would you prune it? Well, that's the issue. You don't want to cut the ends off the yeah. branches if you can avoid it. Um, would you cut it back... So straight into the main trunk. I would, if it had grown really out of yeah. proportion to the plant uh, bed you got you'd got it in. I would bring it right back and then let it start again. Because yeah. if you just keep truncating the ends of the branches, 
you'll either end up with a sort of a flattened face mm. on it, which yeah. is not you'll, particularly you'll good. You'll lose the levels. Yeah, yeah. And, and it will just look scruffy. Yeah. So, so probably better in a, in a large garden oh, bed yeah. where you don't need to worry about pruning Fitzroy it. Terrace House is not the place for a viburnum no. placatum. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So, so I, but I wanted to ask you about the viburnum placatums because I had to, I had to do a bit of research to find out what it was when yeah. I was setting up the plant list. Yeah. And I kept coming across the viburnum snowball, which I think is a sterile, fer, sterile form of uh, this viburnum placatum there species. There is a sterile form of it, yes. But there seems to be a number of varieties oh, yeah. of the species Lots around. Of Lots, Lots of cultivars. Lots cultivars of cultivars from yeah. a couple of different naturally occurring varieties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, because there's one called placatum tomentosa, yes. which is one of the natural occurring forms, um, and it has, a, it has a slightly more tomentose leaf. Hence which means tomentose. a little bit hairy. A little bit hairy. Mm. But otherwise they look very similar and most people are dropping the tomentosa name out altogether and not bothering with it because there's not enough diverse, uh, not enough difference between the two forms and, in fact, there's intermediates. So mm. once you start finding intermediates, then the practicalities of keeping it as a separate form are pretty silly. Yeah. Uh, but there's a whole range of selections that have been made over the years. There's the sterile ones that have the pom-pommy flowers. Yeah. There's a sterile one with pink flowers instead of white flowers. There are lace cap varieties with pink flowers instead of white flowers. Uh, there are semi-dwarf ones. Mm. Uh, there's one called Summer Snowflake, which is semi-dwarf and flowers much later, and so flowers virtually in midsummer. Uh, so there's a whole range of selections mm. of placatum. And some of the newer selections are actually much more compact and easier to manage yeah, in a small okay. garden, so it might be worth looking out for, for those. And, and the, obviously the snowball-y ones, the, the sterile ones, won't get the berries on it, I would imagine. No, no but they <laughs> do hold so, their flowers longer. The flowers reckon, stay on, and yeah. sometimes you can get a green form of a slightly greener, or do they all just start off greener? They start off greenish. Yep. Yeah. Uh, there's one called Macrocephalon, which has huge oh, mine's snowballing flowering. flowers. They look like hydrangeas, like yeah. big hydrangeas. Yes, yeah. vast Mine's thing. flowering now. And <laughs> that gets its flowers virtually fully mature size and still green, yep. then goes white. Right. Yeah. But the snowball ones, you can prune them back quite hard because they... they well, they're quite, they've got sort of, not leggy in a bad way, but they've got very long yeah, stems they, and they and just they come out have and bend over. There's also no. the opulus uh, yeah. variety with its the snowball flowers yeah. too, and they do like the viburnum opulus don't mind a hard prune at all. Yeah. They'll just yeah. spring yeah. back. They will, um, yeah. So they've got a snowball type flower. But yeah. again, the the fertile opulus has those beautiful oh, glass red bead, uh, berries. berries all over mm. it. And... So as you say, the flowers don't, the lace cap flowers don't last terribly long, although yep. they do look beautiful. Yeah. Um, but you get these beautiful sort of yellows, soft uh, yellows in autumn, um, and then some years, if the parrots don't rip them all off, mm -hmm. um, you, the 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 berries go from green to sort of an orangey red to to a solid red, and then they go translucent. So if you can hold on to them long enough, wow. they're like these red glass beads all over the plant. And it's yeah. absolutely oh, stunning. Beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's a beautiful plant. So, And, and that was one of the things I was talking spot, about yesterday. In a sheltered spot, they would need to be in a sheltered spot. Uh, that one particularly, but some of them will yep. cope with being out in the open. But it's a big genus mm. uh, and it's one of the few genera of plants I know of that can, apart from a range of flower colours, because they really only come in pink or white, um, but they can do almost... Every other thing you can imagine, there's deciduous, there's evergreen, mm. there's 
winter flowering, there's spring flowering, there's summer flowering. Uh, there's perfumed ones. Mm. Um, there's some that have great autumn colour. There's a range of different berries. You've got tabulated ones that have interesting form or dwarf compact bushy ones. You could fill a garden with viburnums uh, and if you had enough different varieties in the garden it wouldn't look boring. Whereas if you filled a garden with only camellias for instance. They all look the same. They all look similar. You know, yeah. they're, they're, And there's pink, red and white basically. Yeah. Uh, and they've all got dark green glossy leaves. Uh, they all make big solid bushes in general um, and a camellia looks like a camellia yeah. but there's a lot of viburnums that have such diversity in them that you'd really struggle to yeah. realise they're all in the same genus There's some viburnums that have been sold in the nursery industry for ages and I don't know what cultivars they are but they're probably used as a hedging plant oh, the yeah. ones used as a hedging plant yes. I can never remember it but and that's been overused and uh, I'm over it Anybody who or any plant that get even a good plant can get overused and you do get over it Yeah, you know, yeah. It could be enough But so, yeah, this one and the the snowballs and mm. some of the other ones, they're absolutely beautiful and they mm. should be used more. But yeah, yeah, they there should. There are some and, species that... Yeah, well, well, and actually even within viburnum, you've got to be a bit careful because there's one or two species that can go quite feral. Mm. Yeah, okay. Viburnum tinus, tinus is a the, very yeah. good example and that cell seeds itself everywhere. The birds eat the berries yeah. uh, and you get viburnum tinus coming up all over the place at Mount Macedon. It yeah. yeah, it's, it's one also of our a common boys. site in Mount Macedon and probably anywhere else that, that it grows. The currawongs eat the seeds and then uh, wash sort of wash the seeds off in a bowl of water. So if you've got a bowl of water anywhere near viburnum tinus, mm. it's always full of viburnus tinus <laughs> seeds right. where they're trying to wash the yeah. the fruit coat off it or they're, they're vomiting back up the seed pods. <laughs> yeah, so um, basically it's pretty gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, that takes me to my next one that I bought in, uh, talking about something that's cute but slightly weedy, is the what well, used to be a Senecio or Senecio, yeah. Roldana, Petocytus. Mm. Great shrub. I love Beautiful. it. Beautiful. One of those big, big herbaceous perennials. It's sort of Edwardian. Just, yes. Well, they totally are. They're really, they're quite heritage, but you don't mm. see them anymore because they're probably too big. Yeah. Like, um, Evan Golke bought in uh, Wagandia a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Which I, I adore. I adore so. it too, but you just don't see them very often. Mm very much anymore because they're a little bit heritage but because they're bigger people yeah. don't and have look, big and look things gardens. like Wigandia too also have the disadvantage for most people in that they're inclined to sucker so yeah. they'll come up off the roots quite a long way away from the parent plant yeah. and that puts some people off well so. this one can become um it does the seeds and it's it's a daisy and mm. it's a senecio so they're very highly um germinatable uh there's a, there's reason, a lot. There's a reason the uh, the Aster Daisy yeah. family's so diverse and yeah. pretty much on every continent. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yes. yeah the, the daisies are one of the, well, they probably are the biggest yeah, one of family the, one of, of one plants. Of them, yeah. yeah. You know, because they're, they're just everywhere, yeah. all over the world. Yeah, they're up there with the, the powers. Mm. I can't remember the other big plant. Anyway, it is one of the Euphorbia biggest plant is families another in the world. huge Yeah, genus. that's a big There's one. There's thousands of those. A lot of weedy ones. But this one, the, so the Roldana Petocytus has the most beautiful foliage. Mm. It Like cat's ears. It's yes. soft and fluffy. So soft. So the common name is the velvet ground cell or groundsel. Um when I get to what two meters or something, two to three meters, it can. But yep. you can always hack it back to the ground well, and start it off again. Well, that's one of the beauties of it. And to contain it, to stop it from getting weedy, is you either hack it back to the ground or just deadhead the flowers. Yeah. Pick the flowers, put in a vase inside, mm. but deadhead them before they start to set seed because they've got the most beautiful flowers. These yeah. purpley, maroney, 
um, outer part of the flower and then the bright yellow daisy, mm. and big look, bright If you want racing. to see big ones, places like the Alexandra Gardens and um, all those sort of old heritage gardens, it's probably growing in the Footscray Gardens, yeah. you know, a lot of those old suburban botanic mm. gardens yep. uh, and you'll see it growing in the melbourne botanic gardens as mm. well too so if you if you walk around some of those gardens you'll see lovely old clumps of uh roldana in fact we did a plant profile on it for my youtube channel a while back because mm. uh, my partner in crime matthew he is living in the city at the moment and he went into the Alexandra Gardens and he saw this Roldana in flower, didn't really know what it was, yeah. but he said, Stephen, this plant is fantastic. It's one of those plants. Yeah. When it's in mm. flower, people are like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, so he wanted desperately to do a plant profile on it. Yeah. I happened to have a less salubrious one growing in the garden at Macedon, but I had a plant that I could use as an example up there because yeah. we were doing that one through lockdown. So he was doing his filming in town. I was doing my filming oh, up my at Macedon. Goodness. Then I'd send my filming to him and then he'd combine it all together and edit it. Uh, and I think we used the last of our lockdown videos this week, actually. Uh, it's been quite a stressful time getting, yeah. it, getting it to air. Uh, but Roldana was one of those things that we decided we would do because it is one of those sort of Edwardian plants. A mm. lot of those things are starting to come back into fashion again. Yep. Uh, I'm regularly being asked for Roldana at the nursery really? now. Yeah, there, quite a lot of people. Is I it just a Pedocytis species or cultivar? Is yeah, there's, there there's, it's a small genus of, of I think, uh, probably a dozen or two species worldwide and i think that particular species is the only one that's in general cultivation yep. mm -hmm. i think I, I remember seeing one i'm pretty sure because I, I think david gave me a plan of it at david musker's garden up at yeah. Horton hall he because he's got quite a lot of room up there too in yeah. the garden mm. and it's making more mm. um but he had a quite a nice uh one that had it was able to be let go yeah. rather than to try yeah, and if you contain can let it, it. Do its thing, it <laughs> can become exceedingly impressive. But yes, yeah. most people's gardens aren't quite big enough yeah. for that. Now, we better mention phone numbers and things again. Where are you all? I hope you're awake and listening. Probably asleep. Um, I would so be. if you want to come uh, come online and talk with us, uh, we've got Greg Balderson and Chloe Foster and myself, Stephen Ryan, here in the studio at your beck and call. So <laughs> ring us on 94190155 or you can send us in a text. Um, and uh, the text number is 0488809855. And we have got another text that's come in. Um uh, da -da 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 -da. All right, somebody else has got an inner city garden. Not only do possums destroy most of the edibles, but in the last year or so, the rats have appeared and are bold and appear even uh, during daylight uh, and now digging and eating, etc. After years of work, we are hesitant to waste time on edibles. I'm sick of these creatures. Please <laughs> advise practical solutions. Paul in a north. What's eating them? I miss Rats. Oh, they're horrendous. Yeah, and... I don't know. They're also exceedingly clever. Yes. Mm. They are really hard to um, uh, to stop. Yep. Um, and I really don't know that there is a solution. I mean, the other issues you've got, if you're out there poisoning rats, then you're probably putting poisonous corpses out into the environment where powerful owls and peregrine falcons or, and yes. been a or dogs huge, and cats, yeah, and dogs yes. and cats yeah. can also eat them. And There's been a huge push recently to change around the availability of rat vermin baits yeah. so that they're not um, secondary, they don't become secondary 
um, pesticides either. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. So you've got the issue of that. So that's number one, and exclusion of these creatures is really difficult. Mm. And I think during the pandemic, there's been a lot of I've heard a lot of inner um, the inner suburbs. So even like Richmond through Hawthorne, then up round to to Preston Coburg. Mm have had an increase in rat issues because none of the restaurants have been open in the CBD, so there's been no food source. So they've had to go further afield and there's oh, been... Oh, great. Yeah. Well, I was talking to a, a gardener who does a lot of um, Surrey Hills, Richmond, mm. Hawthorne Gardens, and he said they've had a huge increase in vermin since the pandemic. There, and, there was an excess of mice and rats out in the country too. Yeah, last and there's year. been all those. Almost a plague. <laughs> there's I think been is that a plague. Term for yeah, it, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've never seen more rats and mice than I saw mm. uh, up until midwinter when yeah. they started to slow yeah. down. Yeah, yeah, so so, yeah. And we've had them around our place. I mean, we've got rat heaven around our place. Mm. We've got chickens. Mm. Uh, I've got a. Uh, the cockatoo in a cage that drops seed everywhere. Um, we've got water. Um, we've got compost heaps that yeah. they can get into. Blood uh, and bone. Yeah, well, yeah, all <laughs> sorts you, of stuff going on. When you talk about favourable conditions for aphids or something, these are favourable conditions for our larger pests. Like, yes. That's exactly and, and, what they know, want. And again, when I go out to lock up the chickens, I don't only sort of see the little ringtails running around through the trees, but I'll see a rat run up the outside oh. of the chook shed or yeah. whatever. They're there, yeah. and the only ones that don't escape uh, for very long are those that fall into the chook, chook water and drown. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm almost pleased when I find yet another corpse in the chook water and I pull it out, and that goes in the compost. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't think there are any real ways of dealing I've with them. I've heard of people using some sort of... Um plastic sheeting you know a couple of foot high around their veggie garden and and hope that the rat can't it's too slippery for the rat to climb up and that they can't work themselves through the joint in that plastic as well but it's it's a lot of work yeah it would be hard to put up it would be highly unattractive Mm. um and uh yes you've got to work out whether it's worth your while really Mm. it's just awful Another thing you could do is maybe try to have some other food source for them somewhere else on the property, whether that's so, an option at all, but it might attract more. Yeah, I think it's just going to bring in their cousins, personally. It's, yeah. it's like the people who say they don't have possum problems because they feed the possums. Uh, I always think a yeah. lot of these animals, they build up a critical mass, and then if you add to the food source, then all it's going to do is create a larger critical mass. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't think you win those things. I think you know feeding uh, is inclined to be counterproductive i think uh others might disagree but mm. uh, i've got a neighbor who feeds the possums on her front veranda and can basically hand feed them all and i'm sure they've invited more cousins in and they come <laughs> over to my place for uh for dessert uh, <laughs> maybe a, a pet python might be the only, <laughs> yes. only way out well, Melbourne's we're, we're moving. We're moving, yeah, moving yeah, further north. Warm. We'll have the climate of Queensland yeah. in a minute, so we'll yeah. bring all the pythons yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that'll be a bit frightening for some. <laughs> yeah. All right, we have another. Oh goodness me! There's a few calls There's, coming through. Yeah, there is. People are uh, listening. My husband loves radishes and buys many bunches every week. Uh, I believe they're easy to grow. We're in North Baldwin. Uh, do you have any recommendation on variety of seeds to buy, please? Well, if you're buying bunching radishes, they're the little red ones. Yep. And so I would say just buy seed of the little red ones uh, and you'll see them on the seed stands in all the supermarkets and nurseries. Um, 
radishes are one of those things I often suggest people grow for kids because they're instant gratification. Yeah, <laughs> they germinate within days. Yeah. Uh, they're ready to crop within mm. a few weeks. Uh, but you do have to keep moving through them. And I mean, if I had a husband who was eating bunches a week, well, then yes, you would go through them. Every time I grow radishes, they grow, run to seed because I don't get round to eating them all because mm. um, we don't use a lot of them in The in daikon our... radishes are fun to grow because they just get, you just get these massive white Oh, Giant yes, I've grown those ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, for, for kids, they're the, fun. They're like 30, 40 centimetres long sometimes yeah. and, and nearly 10 centimetres yeah. thick. Yeah, and, and they, they go into the ground, but they sort of start to rise out yeah. of the ground yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, so they're, they're sort kids. of exciting, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so I would just buy a normal commercial round radish, just look on the picture on the, on the cover of the uh, packet. Yeah. Um, and... Like our previous caller who was struggling with the black radishes, make sure they don't go into too rich a soil because mm. otherwise they run to, flower, flower, run to flower and foliage at the expense of radishes. Good tip. The, yeah. the other thing is too, because they grow so fast, why not just try everything and find yeah. out which one you like the best? Well, yes, you Because they only take a couple of weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can get them fairly quickly and be successional in your sowing. Mm. If you put a whole packet of radish seed in all at once, they're going to come up and be ready to eat all at once. So if you put a few in each week yep. uh, and so that you've got that succession of mm. radishes coming along. And if you get really clever, you'll be able to grow just about the right amount for each week's radish supply yeah. <laughs> to keep the husband happy. Yeah. So, you know, that that's what you could probably do. Uh, all right. Um, Let's get to these calls, yes, Stephen. Yes, we better. Uh, so line seven. Christina. Christina, hello. You're ringing we, we radishes as well, are you? Yes. Yeah. Hello. Good morning. Uh, a helpful hint. Um, my, my daikon, large and mini, of course, go to seed at this time of year. Mm-hmm. And my broad beans have finished, so I eat the pod which is a thing um, in Vietnam, I know, but they can be stir-fried. I pop them in my soup and I freeze them and I eat those until my dwarf beans and climbing beans come in. Fantastic. Uh, Mm. Yeah, because they've got the seed in, they're very nutritious and you get masses of pods and I've got stacks of flowers, so they'll be coming in for quite a while, just a hint for people. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you for that. See, aren't our listeners good? They are very good. Yeah, they are very, very good. Thank you, Christina, for your um, your suggestion, re-radishes, and uh, we'll and catch beans. up with you again. All right. Uh, now, we've got Pat. Good morning, Pat in Elwood. Yes, good morning. How good are morning, you and Pat. how can we help you? I've got an olive tree. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, oh, two, two to three metres high. Yeah. And it's it's uh, it's got a black spot uh, on its leaves. Yeah. And I picked all the leaves off and took them round to the nursery and they think it's a virus. No, I'd be surprised if it's a virus. Oh, it no, sounds it like a, a virus. Fungal. Yep. Um, I would say a fungal issue, and it's probably due to the cool, damp, soggy weather we've been getting. Um, so once summer comes in properly, if uh, there's not too much of the fungus on the plant, it will start to ease off. So do I pick off the leaves still? 
Well, you can keep picking off the leaves. I mean, that helps to control a fungus. And any leaves that might fall on the ground. Yeah, you could rake up any that fall off. Um, but it sounds to me like some sort of black spotting fungus issue, and it's due to the weather. And uh, all so they... pretty tough too, so they... yeah. Yeah, they'll come, and, it'll come good. And there's something else. Yeah. Um, I, I have a pine. I don't know which pine it is. It was a Christmas tree about uh, 15 years ago, thrown mm. out in the street. I dragged it home and I've got it in a giant pot. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have once tipped it out and nipped the roots um, to sort of slow its growing. Mm-hmm. Now it's growing again like blazes. And uh, I thought to myself, uh, what month of the year should I be pruning the roots? All right. Root pruning on conifers is winter. Winter? Yes. I see. Yeah, so don't do it while it's in active growth because you'll set the plant back. Mm. Um, so I would do it in June, July or August. I'd roll it out of the pot. And actually, if you're going to put it back in the same size pot, I'll make a suggestion to you you could have a crack at. The problem with root pruning is you often end up with a core mass of roots that you don't deal with because they're sort of right inside. Mm. So what I do is I get an old bow saw and I cut a wedge like I'm cutting cake. Yep out of the root system back towards the trunk. And I do that in two or three places around the root system. Then I slide it back into the pot and I refill the gaps with some fresh potting mix and some slow-release fertiliser. And that should keep it going for several years. And the next time I do it, I take the next wedge out. Yep. And so Thank you, you. you just keep cutting wedges out of the root system mm. every few years. And that way, within sort of... Uh, more or less you can keep the plant going in the same size container almost indefinitely. Mm. And it stops the roots going around in circles. And it stops the roots girdling around in circles. So, yeah, bow saw works really well for that. You'll probably blunten the blade as soon as you finish the job uh, each time, but it's the best tool, I reckon, to do that job with. We used to do that, or we do. they do that to the citrus trees that we grow for the butterflies at at Melbourne Zoo. So I used to do it when I worked there. And I just used a pruning saw, so I didn't lie the plant on the side. I just sort of cut it. I'll cut down through. Work to treat. Yeah. It's the best way to do citrus trees like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So that's probably the simplest way to deal with it. And it's certainly quicker than trying to prune the roots all the way around. You can do a lot Thank more you. damage with, with like teasing roots out yeah. too. Yeah. You strip a lot of bark off and yeah, uh, yeah there's a lot more damage. And more points. damage taking a slice off the bottom yeah. as well. It is quite better, often better to do a, a wedge, yeah. an mm. upright wedge. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. So I hope that helps you. Thank you. That's a pleasure. Thank you, Pat. Stephen, um, I'm glad she asked because we had a caller last week that was asking about root pruning of bonsais. I am. Which is a pretty broad question, but pine or conifer bonsais, Mm. root pruning in winter? Yeah, look, I I think root pruning in winter is just a smaller version of growing stuff in pots. Yeah, it is. It's basically the same thing. And, of course, anything deciduous, it's generally better to deal with it in winter too. So, really, winter is your prime root pruning period for anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's when they dig the trees out of the paddocks and send them out in bundles bare-rooted to the nursery. Yeah, with all the deciduous trees. Yeah, with all the deciduous trees. Uh, I mean, it's the time when those plants are at their lowest, so they're less likely to be damaged or stressed by dealing with them in the winter. Mm. So that's that's the best time to do it. Yeah. So there you go. There we go. Um, Now, we've got some more more, uh, text messages in here. Uh, oh, good nature have a repeat firing captive bolt uh, multiple rat killing device. No poison, uh, 
has killed 25 in my house already. <laughs> so it's called Good Nature and it's a rat firing captive bolt device. It's a hydraulic. A.B. Bishop has something similar ah. and she has had a lot of success with it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a different type of trap. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it works. It tracks it in and then just knocks them on ahead with a little hydraulic. Boing. Okay, Boing. Right. Oh, I was picturing a, a rat with a helmet on getting blasted out of a cannon. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that, that as Now, well. that's one way to go. <laughs> yes, yeah, and somebody else has said also rat traps, not bait, uh, in a box that has a hole in it at ground level that's uh, big enough for the rat to enter. Yeah. Uh, but everybody's going ratty here. Uh, rats with very humane, non-poisonous killer... Uh, Compressed CO2 canister. Yeah, the made canister in New Zealand. ones. Yeah, uh, by Good Nature. So same, same thing. So mm, that could well that be worthwhile. Yeah, it sounds like a way to go. Uh, <laughs> the problem is, of course, that they build up a critical mass all around you, and so every time you knock off some, they're going to come back yeah. into your place from your neighbours mm. and things. So it's only a temporary um, like fix in a way. You've just got to keep at it the whole time, I guess. Mm. If everybody did it, maybe we would have an impact on the rat population Perhaps. but it's like fruit fly and all those other issues that we have in our gardens mm. unless everybody gets on board same with citrus gall uh, and all that sort of stuff oh, particularly citrus gall. yes yeah. so unless people all get on board with it then you have no real major impact which mm. is sort of sad yeah mm. all right now i think we're We've got another line coming in. All right, well, we better do this one now. Yeah, a few we... callers coming yes, in. Yes, Ian in Sunbury. How, how are you today, Ian? Uh, good, thanks, uh, everyone. Um, look, I've got uh, an old, gnarly old Grevillea mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, about oh, three to four metres high, I guess, uh, maybe. Um, but it's sort of, uh, it's an old thing. And the the branches, the main branches come out from the bottom, from the trunk, uh, in all different directions. But in in the big storms, it seems to have either moved uh, a couple of the uh, one branch in particular is is has drooped right down, um, and uh, the whole thing looks different. Um, I've checked the trunk and I can't see any signs of any split at the bottom. Mm. Um, but um, I'm just wondering, is it worth trying to save or do you think the whole thing's split down the bottom and I can't see it? Or um... Do you know what, what type of grevillea it is? I, look, I'm not sure. It, it's a bottle brush. I, I'm not an expert with them. Uh, I, I didn't plan it, but uh, it's got fairly dark, uh, fairly bright red bottle brush flowers. Mm. Um, Probably... Probably worth just some grevilleas. You can give them, you can prune them back to an old stump, and leave yep. no foliage, and they reshoot and come back all fluffy and nice again, and they look beautiful. So, yeah, I'd probably yeah. prune off the damaged uh, plant material and then and leave it. And yeah, um, well, you've got little to lose because at the yeah. end of the day, if it's not one that responds to pruning, exactly, well, then you've got a smaller stump to get rid of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. Um, all right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll prune it back fairly hard then. Yep. Um, and um, uh, but it's uh, yeah, it's just just in the big storms. I've lost a, I've lost two or three shrubs in the big storms, and I'm I'm of course yeah in Sunbury, um, <laughs> and uh, it, so the soil is uh, all it is is about. Uh, Two or three hundred mil at the most of topsoil, and then just hard packed clay underneath. 
Um, so if this thing doesn't survive, uh, or generally, what what do you what would you um, considering the climate that we're getting and the, get these really really heavy storms out here or everywhere, of course. Mm. Um, what 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 would you suggest putting in 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 this environment? Oh, to replace it all. Yeah, yeah there, look, there's masses of different plants but you could put in. I'm assuming Clis- you're looking for a shrub. Uh, yeah, not look, probably. I'm probably better off just going for something that's only maybe two metres, maybe three metres at the most. Um, I'd like it to be able to spread a bit and, and provide a bit of shade and a bit of you know, bit of cover for an under for understory planting and things. Um, I, I'd yeah. go something like a, a, a bottle brush, a calistamin. They're yeah. good in, yep. in harder soils. Yeah, pretty and tough. they're pretty tough. They'll in cope with a lot. exposed spots. Yeah, so, yeah. Although some, of the the, some of them are a bit prone to frost, especially when they're young, are they? There's, I know I had troubles with some calistamins a few years ago. Uh, I've got, the winter yeah, I've would got knock one them about got, a little bit. Possibly. But yeah, there are some a, that don't yeah, yeah. mind it at all. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's another. Yeah, that's actually reminds me. Thanks for that. There's another. I, I think it might be a calistamin or something. It's got black. Um, Black on its on 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 the branches. Yeah, um, would that be frost? No, a lot of them are suffering from. They've got scale, which results in sooty mould at the moment. There's a right. lot of bottle brush that have turned like that from yeah. the wetness that we've had lately. And okay. I've got bottle brush, the Kings Park Special Nature Strip trees. They're probably about maybe five years old um, mm-hmm. on my street, and they've a lot of them have got the sooty mould and scale on them. If you yeah, just do the- Yeah, so you could prune them, sort of um sort of thin them out to open up the airflow through the plant. Yep. And that will hopefully that will just help to dispel the scale because scale mm. like um no like minimal airflow. Um and yep. so they'll they'll get blown away and then that also discourages the fungi from setting in as well. Um, right. Yeah, so okay. I'd thin them out to prune them. Yeah, no worries. All right, then. Um, yeah, look, thanks for your help. Cheers. It's a pleasure. No worries. Thanks, Ian. Good on Ooh, I think I might have Good cut Ian off slightly quickly then. Good Sorry on about you. that. Um, all right. Um, I think we're... Oh, we've got a message down here. Somebody's asking about the possibility of dealing with fleas in their garden. Now, I don't know... Uh, any way of dealing with that Isn't personally? About some of Isn't the pyrethrum daisies, would they be uh, could be maybe some useful? And... Is it fleas? There's little springtails. Yeah, yeah well, see, well, I'm wondering whether problem. it's actually fleas at all. Fleas. They're in a sandy yeah. soil, um, and they're worried about their pets specifically with okay. fleas. Uh, obviously. If it's springtails or something, it's not going to affect your pets. No. But um, you need to have the correlation of knowing what exactly you're dealing with before yeah. you try and then deal with it. Because if it's springtails or some other sort of small bug, yeah. it's probably not going to have any impact on your and animals. They, they just eat decomposing plant material. Yeah. So they're probably fine. But if you're sure you've got fleas, yeah. your pets will have already picked them up. You'll need to de-flea your pets, yeah. certainly, uh, and you'll need to keep your pets bedding clean and all that sort of thing. Uh, but but you... in the garden, the pyrethrum plants that you suggest are great. Yeah, there, there'd be certain members of the Aster family that have uh, pyrethrum-type yep. chemicals in them. And there's probably other stuff too, like quite smelly uh, herbs and things often mm. a, a little Sages bit. Sages and... Yeah. Um, yeah. They're often, a, 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 you know, the bugs don't like them as much because yeah. they smell. But certainly <laughs> if it's a flea problem, you need to start from the pet end 
and make sure your yes. pets are deep but fleas. Fleas do can survive in sandy soil a, a little bit, I think. Yeah. But as you say, if they've got nothing to eat, they, they can't suck blood out of sand. So, mm. yeah. Um, yeah. So if you, you need keep to keep your animals, animals well deep yeah. mm. the way I would deal with it. Yep. Uh, so you need to start from the animal end, not from the garden end. You can't, you can't really z- sort of clear the whole garden of something uh, by using some sort of chemical thing. Mm. Well, it'll kill everything else. Yeah, exactly. You you have a disbalance with all of the bugs and insects in your garden. So, uh, yeah, just keep your you know your regular defleeing treatments and stuff. We do that with our dogs um, whenever it is, once a month or Mm. once every couple of months or whatever. In fact, I've got it in our phone and it pops up to say the dogs need their defleeing. So um, we just deal with it from that angle. Yep. And just keep their bedding clean and all that sort of stuff. all right. Ah, uh, oh, we've got a friend of ours on board. We'll get uh, to your plants soon, Greg. Yes. Oh, we've got yeah, so many. We're going to get to mine at all. Stevens. Jill, are you there? Hello. Hello, Jill. Hi, Jill. We're here. How are you, Stephen? Good, I thank you. Else is there, but good morning, everybody. Good morning, um, Jill. So what's the Herb Society up to? Well, we're having uh, the annual general meeting, which should be quite quick, in the student amenities building at Burnley, not in the the normal room uh, because they're not opening the main building. And uh, but people have to be double vaxxed and have their evidence with them of the double vaccination. They have to wear a mask and they wear sort of a semi-outdoor place where we're running a quiz on Earth. So that should be fun. so it's our first meeting since May the 6th. All right, so what's the date and time, Jill? At this Thursday, the 2nd yep. of uh, December and 7.30 onwards. Fantastic. All right, so that's at uh, the amenities block at Burnley. That's right, yes. Fantastic. But remember that it's the double vaccination with the evidence. Yeah, yeah, so people have to be... All prepared and ready. Yes, that's right. All right, and, fantastic. And years ago, when I had chook, I used to put wormwood, prunings of wormwood in the nest, and also when we had fleas in the soil, I put wormwood in the soil, the yeah. sandy soil, mm. and that deter- that that uh, deterred the fleas or killed them off or something. Yeah, yeah, and, that's, uh, that, that is a well-known thing. I'd forgotten about wormwood, but, mm. yes, that is a, a plant that apparently has um, flea-detracting components, so there you go. Especially the white one. Mm-hmm. You know, the Abritar, I think it's Abritarum. Yeah. All right, that's yeah. fantastic. Thank you, Jill. Oh, that's all right. Well, enjoy the day. I we, we will. All <laughs> right, thanks a, a lot. Thanks, yeah. Just have to say that Peggy Gibson... Member of the Herb Society for umpteen years. Yeah. Is turning 19. We're going to her birthday party this oh, afternoon. Good on you, Peggy. So, congratulations, Peggy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wishes from us all here yeah. at 3CR Gardening Show. All oh, right. I'll tell her that. She'll be delighted. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, all right. Bye, Jill. Bye. All right. Well, we better keep moving with these calls yeah. as they're coming through. Yeah. Bron from East Malvern, are you there? Oh, yes, good morning. Um, Look, I have a problem. I have some very squashy soil that was waterlogged. Um, I'm in a sandy soil area. 
um, on the west side. One was a Caliandra hematocephala, which is a rather feathery Caliandra pink, and it lost all its leaves. It's about uh, three and a half feet tall. Mm -hmm. And the other was a macadamia, which the leaves were going very brown and at the tips. Um, it's still got some green on it, um, and that was about six foot. Now, I've potted up one, the Caliandra I've potted up, and the other one, the um, macadamia, I've sunk into the soil on the east side of a drive, um, which is slightly drier soil, but it's still sandy and it does have, you know, quite a bit of heat there in summer. And I was just wondering what the hell to do. Mm. <laughs> you know, oh, the dear. soil was really squelching and, you know, mm. like it was just ridiculous. Everything How long had both those plants been in their situation? Um, well, the macadamia had been in there for about uh, three years, two mm. and a half years. It was a, a, a tree that was a saved tree from someone else's garden um, and the Caliandra I had bought and that had been in there for about oh, five years, five mm. years. Yeah, well, I, I'm surprised if either of them actually survived the transplant for a start. Mm. They're not plants mm. that I would have considered as being good subjects to try and shift. Um, uh, and, of course, it's really hard to say whether things are going to come good or not when you can't see the patient. Um, when things get waterlogged, uh, it's really a matter of how much of their root system has died in the process as to mm. whether they can come back from it or whether they can't. So the only thing I would do is probably give them some seaweed at some point to see if that can stimulate some roots. Uh, I would prune them all back a fair bit if you haven't done so already. Would you? Yeah, uh, because that sort of then re releases the pressure on the plant to try and keep as much of the top alive as, as, yeah. as it does. Apart from that, there's not much else you can do other than, well, if you're inclined, you can do some Hail Marys, but um, uh, I don't think there's much else you can do other than just see what happens. Okay, and, you know, waterlogging so is going to be an issue this year. Yes, um, yes. I mean, they're saying now that we're definitely having the La Nina, mm -hmm. um, which means we're going to have a damp year, and which I'm applauding in some respects because it means there's less fire problems. And, yeah. And I won't be running around with a hose every day trying to keep my garden alive. Um, but it also potentially means I won't pick a tomato or, or sweet corn. <laughs> yes. So there's good and bad things about it. Um, but the only other thing, if you've got areas in the garden that are struggling to drain then it's not a bad idea to look at how you might be able to ameliorate that problem with yes. efficient and, sort of trenching would, or drainage sorry. yeah would facing um west be all right for the macadamia yeah it or? should be yep yeah, yeah they love okay. it hot and the caliandra would that be all right there because yeah, there's one in the botanical gardens that was quite large and it sort of faces south. It's, mm. it's up near the Rose Garden somewhere. And, then, and I had bought it when I'd seen that. Yeah. I, it was beautiful. Yeah. And I bought it at one of their sales. Well, yeah, all I can right. say is uh, you've probably got not much choice anyway, and, I, yeah. and and certainly if you've already done it, I wouldn't try and remove things no, because no, that's just no. going to make things worse. I think worse. just sit back and see what happens. We are going to have a cooler okay. year this year, so mm. in fact, even if it is something that wanted a little bit more shade than you've allowed for, right. um, it may not be a problem this year, and you might well find that it will settle into its spot as time goes on. Fine. Okay. Well, thank you so much. That's a pleasure. Okay, then. All Bye -bye. right. Thank you, Bye. Bye.
Still more calls coming Still in. Still more calls coming Another in. All right, one. we better go to Margaret now uh, in Camberwell. Good. Oh, what's happened oh, here? We've lost Margaret. It looks like we've lost Margaret. Oops. Um, I might leave that for a minute and we'll see if it comes through. Perhaps. Just pop the hold button on for line seven. Uh, for line seven. No, 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 the hold button, not the green button. Oh, the hold button, which is that one or that one? Anyway, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. All right. Um, now, we've got time. Maybe, Greg, you might like to talk about All a right. couple of your plants you've well, bought in. Well, I'll talk about the gladdies. I bought some uh, some of the last uh, species or species cultivar gladiolus yeah. in today. Um, so... The first one I'll talk about is one called, it's a, one of the Carneus, Gladiolus yeah. Carneus. This one's Carneus albidus. Yeah. Um, and I remember getting, I got this from Silver Hill Seeds oh, goodness, uh, about back, 10, yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. And the description, I, I think I just went through their catalogue and got one of every Gladiola that they were selling. <laughs> yeah, well, and as you do. When I read the description of this, it sounded pretty boring. It was just a white Gladi. Yeah. Um, but, but it's not really in, just a white in gladi. In reality, it? it's probably one of my favourite gladys now. It's it, it comes out white. So the, when the flowers first emerge, they're pure white with even the slight sort of yellowy greenish tinge to them. Mm -hmm. And then as the flowers age, these these this flower I've bought in isn't actually really representative of what they do. Uh, as the flowers age, they turn hot pink. Yeah. So once you've got a cluster of them, and they do multiply really well, they're not quite as weedy as the straight carneus, yes. but um, they, they grow quite well. Uh, you have on the the younger flowers opening up pure white right down to these hot pinks as the flowers get old and start start to shrivel up. Um, it's a it's a really pretty gladi. Uh, as I say, it's it went from the description going, oh, that sounds pretty boring. To <laughs> but you've got to have them all. You do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, as I say, as as a garden plant, it's uh, when you've got a big clump of them, it's a really pretty gladi. And the other thing it does when it sends up its leaves, they're spirals, like a lot of the gladdies do. Oh, they sort yes, of twist their sort of leaves, curled effect. So it's the got leaves. these uh, spiral. They're quite flat leaves, but they they spiral as they go up. So that one, if you can find that one, I'm not sure. Uh, I'd maybe try Tonkin's bulbs might have some. Mm. Uh, but if you can find gladiolus carneus, and I think Silverhill still. Uh, yeah, operate. Apparently, it's still functioning as a as a company, even yeah. though uh, the original owners are, are now dead. Although I'm not sure uh, if you can get a lot of these gladi seeds into Australia anymore. Yeah, I, I don't know what's they, on the icons yeah, list, I so you'd need to go in and see what's approach that anymore. Yes. Um, then I've also, which is a bit bedraggled now, but I bought mm -hmm. straight carneus in, yeah. uh, which is the basis for a lot of the breeding for the species cultivar gladys. Mm. So a lot of the yeah, so nanasy things, yeah, things, which yeah. I don't think is a real name, but um, <laughs> a lot of those ones are actually got carneus because gladys are really promiscuous and they don't mind swapping pollen with each other and producing something quite unusual. Um, so the, the straight carneus is quite a small flower, uh, again, it's on the whitish side, but it has quite a strong pink blush and some really nice strong markings yeah, on the I like some of the gladys that have those flares in them. I think yeah. they're really pretty. So, so it's got the the small little uh, sort of arrows on the bottom petals. Oh, they're beautiful in there. Uh, another one I bought in is uh, Blushing Bride, which uh, I think for a, a long time it was called Blandus. Uh, Blushing they Bride's was, much a, better, a much better name. Well, they, they thought it was a species one, and then, oh. uh, but they're still unsure whether it was 
a hybrid that someone produced in cultivation mm. or whether it was a naturally occurring cross between uh, 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 Carneus and uh, Angustus, I think, is the other parent plant of it. Um, but again, it shows you the prom <laughs> how promiscuous they are and well at crossbreeding with each other. Mm. Um, and it, uh, Blushing Bride's a really strong grower, uh, really good multiplier. It doesn't set mm. seed or anything. It just multiplies by bulb. Uh, it's got strong white flowers with beautiful dark purple mm. uh, ultraviolet sort of markings on the lower petals um, and is a really good garden plant, Greg, especially if you want big clumps of them. While you're talking, Gladys, we've actually got something that's come in that might be apropos, um, uh, and it is addressed to you. It says, Greg especially, please suggest some beautiful, tough, hardy South African bulbs that can be left in the ground uh, in a low rainfall garden uh, north of Melbourne uh, and do rats eat the bulbs if left in the ground? Uh, um, so well, you might like to comment on that. Yeah, I, I guess if you've got... Uh, softer soils, definitely rats can get down to the bulbs a lot easier. Um, most of the members of the iris family, so the gladdies and ixies and things, have got tasty bulbs mm. to rats and mice. So I've lost many bulbs by sticking them in a paper bag and mm. then when I go and get them, when it's planting time, <laughs> oh, they're not yeah, there anymore. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, or yes. their husks or the, the, the tunics yeah, are only things the left. Yeah, the bottom of the bag. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Or just um, like husks, yeah, strewn everywhere. Yeah. So, so well, for starters, oxalis are, are really good. Uh, not all of them, but there's some good ones that aren't too weedy and, well, most of them aren't too weedy mm. and that do grow well and strong in the ground yeah. and do something, uh, if it's some of the South American ones, you've got something that'll grow over summer. Uh, like triangularis is a really good garden well, actually, plant for dry shade. I did have one in this morning, which I was going yeah, to talk yep. about. So Oxalis stipularis, which is one of the summer growing ones. Yep. And it flowers for months and months and months. That's really cute. And, and, and the leaves and are really the, And they've got beautiful leaves too. Yeah. So And triangularis is another really yeah. good one that flowers well. It's got soft pink flowers, beautiful dark burgundy uh, foliage, mm. and absolutely loves dry shade. Yeah. Um, so if you've got a, a dry shady spot, those are really good. Um, is Haymanthus considered a bulb? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so it's a, a amaryllid. Um, yeah. So and again, really tough and yeah. can handle, especially somewhere like Sunbury could handle. One, one of the best growers of South African bulbs I've ever met lives in Sunbury. Yes, yes, uh, I know. Craig who you're Gardner. About. Yes, Craig is um, a very good grower, and he can just grow everything. So he can grow stuff that most people can't grow. Mm. Um, so and I think I'm thinking, hopefully. Uh, recently he's been doing some of the rare plant fairs and actually selling some yeah. of these things too. Which is good. Um, uh, which is great because, yeah, there's not that many people out there doing it. Uh, so if you ever see Craig Gardner, go and see him. Mm. Uh, but And the gladdies are really tough. There's some yeah. – an, another gladdy I've bought in is Amanda Mahi, which is a, a cultivar. I think it's a cardinalis Yeah, it's hybrid. got cardinalis in it for sure, I'd sure say. sure what the other yeah. one is, maybe caryophyllis or something. Yeah. Uh, so Amanda Mayhe can get as big as a hybrid gladi. But it tends um, to do that, doesn't it? It goes does, out and arches. It's yep. not stiff it and vertical like yeah, a hybrid It's got lead. a lot more nice sort of form to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a strong sort of salmon, watermelon almost colour. It's yeah. a very bright sort of uh, peachy, pinky salmon sort of colour with markings on the, on the lower petals. Um, so that's a really good one. There's Gladiolus communis, which is one of the North African Mediterranean yeah. species, which is, again, is another one I bought in. Yes, with um, a sort of magenta -y 
purpley coloured yeah, flags. Yeah, and it's probably the prettiest of the North African and Mediterranean mm. gladiators. Yeah, I've seen those look growing in Morocco in in fields. Oh, just a th- wow. just just a big note. I just I just <laughs> yeah, recently thanks. found a clump growing on the side of the road in Newham. Yeah, well, that would surprise us. <laughs> That's nowhere near as exotic as Morocco. No, no, no. It's, uh, <laughs> All right, we better try and go back to Margaret now because yeah, we've got Margaret on board. There. I hope so. Let's see Hopefully if we can she's bring her. On. Margaret, are you there? Oh, hello. Ah, good. good. Gotcha. Sorry, good Margaret, about before. I don't know what I did, but I must have pressed the wrong hello? button. Hello? Yes, we're here. Can you hear us, Margaret? Yes, I can hardly hear you. Well, we're speaking reasonably loudly. Uh, it might be a problem at your end, maybe. Oh, uh, anyway, I'll give it a try. I'm after a persimmon tree, a fruiting persimmon tree. Yeah. Uh, for a Christmas present for a friend. I'm finding it very hard to um, find one. I think Bunnings may possibly have one. Yeah. But I want a definite answer if I possibly can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Persimmons are fairly thin on the ground this year, and I'm not quite sure why. I didn't get any persimmons for my nursery this year. Um, oh. So you will have to do a bit of hunting. But a couple of warnings, Margaret. Uh, there are two types of persimmons. There are astringent persimmons and non-astringent persimmons. Yeah, it's the non-astringent Yeah, one well, the non-astringent ones grow perfectly well around Melbourne, but in colder areas you should go for an astringent persimmon. Um, and probably the best cultivar for those is one called nightingale. Um, nightingale. Uh, but... I've got one which has beautiful fruit. Yeah. I want one for my neighbour. Yeah, well, I've got no idea where you're going to get one this year, unfortunately. The other warning I will give you, if you do buy a persimmon this year, make sure it's been in the pot for a fair while because persimmons hate root disturbance. I would never sell you one bare-rooted in the winter. I would want to pot it up, grow it on through the next spring and sell it to you the following autumn so that it's well and truly established in the pot because you have the odd one that fails when you buy one bare-rooted. Oh, that's no good. Uh, So make sure if you do get one from somewhere that you get one that's been in the pot for a while. Stay in the pot, yeah. yeah. So um, that's the main things with persimmons. Yeah. Also, I've got an incredible amount of healthy roses. I think I've got rid of the aphids yeah. with rue. Yeah. There's an enormous lot. And uh, also, my neighbour always throws their grass clippings into the rubbish bin and I managed to move their bin down You stole their back. grass cuttings? Yeah. <laughs> Good for you, <laughs> Margaret. <laughs> Put it all around their, my garden mm. and it's a good way to retain the water if yeah. you don't, mm. if you want the water. Yeah, exactly. I mean, grass cuttings can be a great component of um, uh, compost or for mm. mulch on a garden bed. So that's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it makes wonderful mulch. Yeah. Also, it, you know, it, it uh, covers over the weeds. Yeah. Which is yeah. Well, c- keep it up, Margaret. And, uh, Go around pinching. Yeah, pinching everybody's grass cuttings. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, have a good day, Margaret. We best move on, but uh, thank you for calling. Well, thank you very much. That's a pleasure, my dear. Sorry about the person. Yeah, Yeah, look, you might struggle to get one this year, unfortunately. Yes, I right. Oh, mine might have seeds. Oh, that's taking it a long long way around. Uh, Yes. All right, we best go, but thanks for ringing. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. Um... All right, Sue is is ringing in and she wants to talk about um, 
Virginia's garden. So let's have a quick chat to Sue. Are you there, Sue? I am, Stephen, but I'll tell you what, I could be on the show because I've got pages and pages of things to talk about after <laughs> listening. Oh, yeah, even before I talk about Virginia's, I, I, I was going to comment on that Roland Dahler um, yeah. cadensis that you've got. And I've actually got the Bartlettina sordata behind mine. Mm. Yeah, which is I'll a great what, combination. Absolutely, but I'll tell you what, if you need any cutting material, <laughs> I've actually used it um, because it's actually really hardy mm-hmm. in the shade and I've also found in the dry shade where you put it, it stays smaller. Yes. Mm. And yes, you Bartlettina, still get the flowers. Yeah, Bartlettina is another one of those sort of Edwardian plants yeah. that was around all yeah. over the place. Yep. I've been filling and, up Forest Glade with it. Yeah, and it is starting <laughs> to come know, back. Do you know the Roland Dahler? I've been at Bushland now for probably 13 years, and one of the colleagues that I was working with brought me in a cutting, and, and the property that she lived on had an old house that had been built in the early 1900s and said, I think you might like this. Mm. And I had no idea of what it did until it grew, and it's been given to so many people because it is just the best plant to push. Um, if you've got a large area like I have to um, just let it do its yeah, thing. exactly. Um, and wonderful winter flowers. Yeah. I mean, to have that beautiful yellow oh, was geez, wonderful. It's wonderful. But, mm. Yeah, and also talking about the viburnums too, I actually moved mine because I've got the opulus um, one, but one I was going to talk about, the ver- viburnum, do you call it... Uh, Onondago. Yeah, Onondago is uh, a form of Viburnum sargentii. Oh, it is beautiful. And I moved it into a sunnier position next to Carlesii in Christie's Memorial Garden. And that was probably my pride and joy of the garden. It was absolutely delightful. Yeah, for those but, who don't uh, know Onondago, it has a whitish lace cap flower, but the central flowers are burgundy-ish. And yes. the foliage has a chocolatey colour about it when it's young, so mm. it's a really intriguing viburnum. It's quite it, different, and it's not easy to come by either. I um, I actually had bought one for a friend of mine who moved, and she didn't take it, and I was lucky to find. I've been looking for it for years. Well, you should have come to Mount um, Macedon. I should have, <laughs> and, and also for the Nelia, because I was showing people the Nelia Thibetica yeah. um, that I got off Carol Ross many years ago, and that's my pride and joy on my front verge garden at the moment. So um, that's great that people know to get it from you, because I was talking to uh, lots of listeners yesterday and also to... Uh, people selling plants there that had never seen that before well, there you and go. were really amazed at it because I've got mine in full sun, western sun, that plant. Yeah, nearly is pretty it's amazing. tough. It's, it's nearly indestructible. It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't now, know. I got it, as I said, from Carol Ross. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to do was to say thank you to, to um, all the listeners that actually came to Virginia's yesterday. It was so lovely to see people. Oh, good. Um, but I, I wanted listeners to know that um, Peter, who spoke last week on the variegated uh, native frangipani, mm. I'm Osprey. I actually met him at Virginia's yesterday and he mm. brought a piece, but he's actually posted it on the 3CR gardening page for anybody 
um, that saw it, and he was saying when he saw it, um, Garden World had only had it for nine minutes, I think, before he bought it. Um, <laughs> well, there you go. So I actually, I, I had a ball, and um, there were people selling plants at Virginia's today as well. Good. So yesterday, Shirley Tomkins, Tomkins was there, and I've been looking for the um, the bleeding heart and also the polygonatum curvistylum yeah. uh, with the lilac bells for Christie's Memorial Garden and managed to get both of those. Well done. Um, but the other lady who's there, Lorraine, if people are looking for lovely woodland and cottage plants, um, she actually has a beautiful display and I'd got many plants from her many years ago and it was great because I didn't have the ID. Um, uh, that she had them, but she had like the beautiful omphaloides with the lilac flowers. Yeah. Uh, just so many beautiful things. So if people are going to visit Virginia's, take some money. <laughs> I was lucky I took a plant because I went to Clive's Festival at um, Wandon yeah. and uh, found out that Neil Merritt was is it Neil Marriott? Who does the... Phil no, Vaughan. not Neil Marriott. Philip Bourne. Mm. was only there on um, the Saturday and a friend of mine was going on the Sunday. So we had a plant exchange at Virginia's yesterday, um, which was really interesting. So, But I was uh, I was selling, trying to plug off... I don't know what it is, but every time I go into a nursery or a plant display, they think I work there. Because I'm always yeah, you look like you work in a nursery. <laughs> yeah, and I bumped into um, Heather Rose, who said, "Oh, you're Sue from the Three CR Gardening Show. I visited your garden, and I'm going up to Virginia's, and here I am selling all Di Larkman's plants at the plant festival uh, last weekend." Fantastic. So, yeah, just, it, there were a lot of Three CR Garden listeners there. Virginia had um, over 100 people visit, and it actually, Stephen, you'd know if you have 100, it's actually not too bad. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's, it's you don't not, feel crowded in. Mm. No, you don't. And having someone there, I, at least I could show a few people because I know Virginia's garden so well because she's one of my besties. Yeah. And um, the, um, the displays that she's got up there of the salvias, Beautiful species, gladioles in flower. The blue and even with the tree. Mm. And the ferula communis. I've seen, uh, she posted me a picture yep. of her, her uh, ferula communis the other day going, What's this? You sold it to me. <laughs> um, what, yeah. what one was she posting? Ferula, the giant fennel. It's a big oh, yellow that umbel. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, that's in, in the back of her vegetable garden. And she's got some. Um, Salvia corrigata that's near that, so you can imagine the blue and the yellow together. Mm, mm, fantastic. Um, looks absolutely spectacular. But I'll tell you what, talking about the Virginia's only 10 minutes from me, and my salvias have only just started flowering here. Yeah, but she's up in and that up, sunny hill. She is. Mm. I get about four degrees lower temperature in um, Mount Evelyn, too. Yeah. So, um, and it was lovely because I actually met Shirley Tonkin. And that's who I got these. I was after um, those two plants for so long and to be able to pick them up yesterday because Bleeding Heart has very big relevance to me going into my daughter's memorial garden. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and yeah, really good. So if people have got um, time to get up to Virginia's today, uh, which is 50 Linwood Road, 
um, in Seville. It is well worth a visit. It looks absolutely spectacular. Fantastic. Well, yeah, thank you for that, so, Sue. We better keep moving because yeah. we're getting towards the end of the program, so we're going to have to start doing our wind down any minute. Yes. But thank yes. you for ringing in. No worries, and it's been a great show. I'm learning lots. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, okay. Sue. All right. Thanks, Sue. Bye. Okay, bye. bye. All right. The Yarra Valley Plant Fair, a few of us went to it last week. There was a bit of a 3CR gardening show panellist reunion. <laughs> Meryl Johnson was there with her Seedscape yeah. seeds. And I bought some and I bought the cut flowers mix and I sowed them last Sunday and they started germinating within a couple of days. I'm so excited. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> we saw Tex Moon there with his yeah. family. Virginia was there. Um, and actually we got a photo. I, we'll have to share it on our on our Instagram and Facebook pages. What a good idea. Yes. What a good idea. But it was fantastic. It was just so nice to go to a plant show again. Yes, <laughs> yes. It, it feels almost like something normal's happening. Yeah. Now, we've only got a minute and a half to go or less than that already. Cool. Uh, so we better do our wind-up. So thanks, everybody, for listening to the 3CR Gardening Show this morning. Thank you, Greg Balderston, for coming Thank in you. and Fitting in, I only rang Greg yesterday because we had a letdown. Yeah. Chloe, also thank you for you coming in today too. Thanks Because the whole me. lineup had to change apart from me this week, one thing or another. <laughs> but anyhow, these things happen. Yeah. Thank you off air for all the effort that was done with dealing with the uh, callers coming in yep. and, and uh, all that sort of stuff. So that's been Liz fantastic. also does our socials too, so thank yeah, you. Yeah, so thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And... Uh, We will see you, I guess, next uh, week. So, bye all. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.